You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series, movie, or audio and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. I'm Simon. And tonight, we're looking at the series finale of season two, or series two, of Bugs, episodes nine and ten, The Bureau of Weapons, and A Cage for Satan. Episode synopsis, synopsi? Synopsis, synopsis, episode, synopsis. synopsis, there we go, that's the word, starting with Bureau of Weapons. Military types are mildly distressed to learn that Cyber Axe, a top-secret project, has escaped. The creators explain, we created an AI that can learn and grow, and somebody hacked in and showed it a better playground, and it left to go play. Of course, we all know that Jean-Daniel Marcel is the hacker with a better playground with his superconducting Naobium computer processors. Far from wanting to control the childlike Cyberax, he sends it out into the world to grow and develop. Roland, from the Bureau of Weapons Technology, and Roz's friend, contacts the bugs to show them this cool new technology they've intercepted. A Cyberax headset, which allows direct mental control of electronic systems. Two-way, it seems, for when Ed raises the possibility that such a system could infect the user with a computer virus, Roland aims a howitzer at his chest and shoots himself at point-blank range. With a shell mass of 5 kilograms and a muzzle velocity of 770 meters per second, that's 1,722 miles per hour for imperial measurement folks, at a total distance of only 3 or 4 meters, Roland is instantly killed. Except he isn't. Four groups of people rush to the top secret location. Team Bugs, paramedics, the police, and Jean-Daniel's extraction team disguised as sexy paramedics. I know what you're thinking. There's a policeman in this episode? Don't worry. He only delivers one line and then leaves. As you would expect, the responding parties arrive in the following order. Sexy fake paramedics, Team Bugs, the lone policeman, and finally, much later, the actual paramedics. By then, the sexy paramedics have already spirited away Roland's somehow still living corpse. But let's not get caught up on the details, or we'll be here all day. Team Bugs surmise that the headset implanted a computer virus that lays dormant until detected. Detected, in this case, being the infected person thinking about the idea that they might be infected. And then the virus takes steps to protect itself, causing the infected person to destroy the physical evidence and either kill themselves or just collapse in a comatose heap. We'd better not tell the rest of the Bureau's team that they might be infected. Too late, they're all down and have, again, been collected by the sexy paramedics. And this time, they've planted a bomb, which Ed disables by dropping it in a swimming pool. An analysis of the wrecked headset equipment shows niobium, which was what Jean-Daniel was all hot and bothered about to obtain. Ross checks out his former prison home, while Ed checks a particle accelerator to see if niobium can be made. Ross learns that Jean-Daniel had an entire empire of companies interlinked, but ignorant of one another, including a company called Cyberax. 
Ed learns that if you make niobium in a particle accelerator, the only way modern science knows how, you create antimatter and destroy the world. As such, experimentation on the creation of niobium has been stopped. No loss anyway, says Dr. Biggs of the Particle Lab, since despite being a superconductor, it has no practical uses. Jean-Daniel has a diabolical plan. He has allowed Cyberax, the AI, to grow and flourish. Now he plans to build a niobium-powered data center at Technopolis, where he will double-cross Cyberax, trapping it, then forcing it to do his bidding. There's just one problem. He's used up all the niobium, and he needs more. Time to get some made at the particle accelerator. Beckett goes undercover as a Cyberax victim in the hopes he'll be collected and taken to their secret lair. This works until Jean-Daniel hears that it's Beckett, and he decides that it must be a trick. Beckett is captured and taken to the particle accelerator. Dr. Briggs has already been unknowingly infected with Cyberax. Creating the niobium will cause a massive explosion, killing thousands, but for some inadequately explained reason, that won't happen until after Jean-Daniel has had the opportunity to escape with the newly created niobium. Ed and Ross to the rescue. Briggs kills himself as the virus takes hold of him. Jean-Daniel and his sexy paramedic Cassandra escape down the evacuation tunnel. It's only a matter of time before the antimatter collides with matter and matter-antimatter annihilation occurs, killing thousands in the area. Ross must put on the Cyberax headset to control the particle accelerator. She's able to deflect the path of the antimatter so that instead of hitting matter, it hits solid rock punching a hole through it and trapping Jean-Daniel in the rubble. Sexy paramedic Cassandra escapes with a niobium. Ross has now knowingly infected herself with a virus. Luckily, she forgets all this and the events leading up to this, more or less, and now Ed and Beckett must keep it a secret from her and prevent her from ever finding out, all while investigating and solving the problem of Cyberax without their computer expert's help. Uh, Episode 10, A Cage for Satan. Some indeterminate time has passed, and Roz is baffled by the mystery of her missing memories, deleted computer files, and the disappearance of her friend Roland and all his team. She is disturbed and deeply suspicious of Ed and Beckett, who are obviously keeping secrets from her while pretending nothing happened. She takes her old mentor, Dr. Talbot, into her confidence, and when she discovers Ed following her, she sets a trap and captures Ed and Beckett in their basement. Roz leaves to investigate on her own. Dr. Talbot calls Ed and Beckett and says he's figured out that Roz is infected. Cyberax has been giving out their headsets to research and education facilities all over, his facility included. He understands why they're keeping secrets from her, and he didn't tell Roz either because of what would happen. In order to gain intel on the enemy, he puts on the headset and infects himself, gleaning enough information to send Ed and Beckett to follow Roz to Technopolis. Roz has gone to this planned techno community in Eastern Europe to visit their top security prison, where just happens Jean-Daniel is held in induced electronic sleep. He's pleased and amused to see her and hear her plight. He sets her on the path to find out for herself, knowing it will trigger the virus. Cassandra has completed construction of the world's largest data center, future home, or prison, of Cyberax. Before getting things going, she convinces Cyberax to get Jean-Daniel out of prison by inducing his death, then reviving him medically. This works! 
Ed and Beckett are chased around Technopolis by armed guards, while Ross continues her investigation. Ed basically lands upon Jean Yanniel's plan with one difference. Ed suggests destroying the power lines after CyberX has taken up residence in the data center, killing it. As the tower goes live, CyberX moves into its new home. Jean Daniel starts killing people. Beckett is captured, and we learn that Jean Daniel is allowing CyberX to use the comatose victims as future servers for itself. Roz's virus gets activated, and Beckett heads to plant the bomb. But he gets captured again. Ed kills sexy paramedic Cassandra, and then, just for good measure, kills Roz. Also, Beckett has escaped again. But Ed is not really killing Roz. He's just rebooting her. Ed runs, carrying Roz's corpse, two blocks to the medical center. Beckett returns to plant the bomb, but is captured once again by Jean Daniel. But the bomb goes off, kills Jean Daniel, and kills Cyberax. Beckett then runs the two blocks to the medical center, where Roz has been declared dead after about, I don't know, what, 30, 40 minutes? of no heartbeat. Uh, that's when they realize that Cyberax's revival chamber isn't working because Cyberax is dead. So they try traditional revival techniques and Roz wakes up after hearing Beckett's voice calling her back from the light. Later, we see that Roland and the others remain comatose and brain dead. Roz bids her friend a fond farewell. Then his eyes open after she leaves. The end. Okay. Bureau of Weapons Cage for Satan. What are your thoughts? I I kind of feel like if stupid were a virus, then after watching this, I'd want you to kill me and then reboot me. <laughs> this one is so poorly thought out. And, and I, oh, there are times when I think the, the writer is actually turning to the audience and saying, I know this doesn't make any sense. Go with it. Like, well... So if we can't create Naobium without destroying the planet, how did the ancients do it? I don't know. Meteor? <laughs> it's like, it's, it's like, I know we had that comment when we were talking about the episode before. It's like, if this is so hard and such a newly discovered thing, how do these ancient people have it? Well, okay. No I mean, on, on, and now on it's that, just like, okay, whatever. On that uh, particular point, when we discussed uh, Schrodinger's bomb. I did say they were they were making a big fuss about it because there would be some reveal, and they did they did refer to it again in this. And then there is no resolution to it, and I I am surprised by that. It's not that I don't think this is a show where there are some pretty big plot holes that they just sort of sweep past, and in a way that's kind of fine because that's the kind of show it is. It's more the fact that point. they make a big deal out of this. It's something that needs a payoff because they have repeatedly drawn our attention to it. So I, that's something where I'm, I'm like, I'm really curious about why that's even in there. I mean, it doesn't add anything. It's purely setting something up that has then gone missing in action. So what happened? Was it late rewrites? Was it late edits? I think that it's aliens. I think it really is aliens. I think that the aliens were in this meteorite that was made of niobium. And that's actually what's going to be in these comatose people that they've obviously set up for a future sequel. And it's going to be an alien invasion. So you think we're going to get a sequel? I absolutely think we're going to get a sequel. You don't, you don't have Roland open his eyes. I don't think it'll be the next episode, but I, I just bet 
that that's coming back. <laughs> it's just I can't help thinking that they've got something planned for these for these people. I mean, they... well, if you're right, then we'll find out whether it is aliens. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, if if that is the case, if there is a sequel planned, whether or not it actually is realized in a future series, it could be that the resolution to that particular conundrum is intended for that sequel, in which case, okay, that's fair enough. Yeah, I feel like I feel like there was another one too, and I, I don't know that I wrote it down. Um oh yeah, no, no, there is another one that I can where I again feel like it's the feel like the writer is just saying ignore it. And that is the Bureau of Weapons Technology, top secret undisclosed location. Then they call them out and, and there's the line that says, I wish they told us where the undisclosed location was before the accident happened. So that, you know, that's setting up. It's like, this doesn't make any sense that they were doing this at an undisclosed location and keeping it a secret. And then immediately they go, well, let's tell these guys. <laughs> but when they get there, they just drive right in. Like the security guard like waves at them. There's no gate. There's no gate for them to close that. There's no fence. There's no nothing. This is the... That's because it's a top secret location that they never use. Yeah, they get a big sign that says Bureau of Weapons. They've kept it secret by... Not using it. And Ed actually says, not that we saw any security here. (laughs) It's like, yeah, so you did that on purpose. You, You made it so it looked like there was no security so that Ed could have the line that says... Yeah, there's no security. I just like, what are they doing? <laughs> like, uh, it's very, it's very odd. I, I, there, there are just things about this episode that just very, very strange. And I, I, I don't know if it's padding because it didn't really, it didn't really feel too padded out to me. This actually felt like they could have, you know, maybe with a little trimming here and there, but it, it, it didn't drag on like, oh, this is. This is just them I, going back and forth, but yeah. So I, I, I think that I think there is, um, I think there is a, a kind of clear aim in this episode to do something that is a bit broader than a regular run-of-the-mill Bugs episode. Mm. I, I, and I'm sympathetic to that. It feels like that's worth doing, and. I know that, you know, I mean, Stephen Gallagher wrote Warrior's Gate. He's capable of writing some slightly more out there and interesting kind of stories. I, you know, I, I love that serial. And I, I feel like if he can, within the kind of world they've set up for bugs, if he can, if he can push the boundaries a little bit, that would be, that would be really interesting. And I'm also, I'm, Again, this is this is kind of connected to the it's the Brian Clemens connection, really, because he you know he's still being credited as a series consultant on this, and it it makes me think of the way in which the, he would sometimes push the boundaries with things like the New Avengers. So, um, in particular, there's an episode he wrote with Dennis Spooner called Faces from series one of the New Avengers, where it's 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 all i mean essentially it's a fairly low tech thing it's just using plastic surgery to to um to put people in the pl- to basically swap out people with doppelgangers um but it but it's interesting because they explore the kind of psychological effects around identity or whatever and you think that there is stuff in this story that they are aiming 
to do a bit like that. They are, they're kind of exploring ideas around, well, there is the opportunity at least to explore ideas around artificial intelligence. And this is, I mean, some of the problems with the story are because it is central. Yeah, I've been complaining repeatedly that the sci-fi elements in Bugs are just used to fuel the plot. They're the MacGuffin mm-hmm. and nothing else. And here they go full on looking at AI, but, well, there are various problems we'll come back to with that. But, you know, that that should be an opportunity to think about what what intelligence means, what, you know, what the threshold for that is, what, you know, what it means for autonomy. And there's the, they they pull that reverse. They kind of set it up with Roz where they actually explore the opposite effect on her. And there, again, there are things around that that are potentially quite interesting because we've basically had two series now of these three being incredibly close friends they work as a team who know each other to the point where they can just depend with their lives on 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 the others knowing knowing when to step in and rescue them and so forth Mm. so there's a huge trust dynamic and after a couple of series of that it's worth kind of pushing that a bit and exploring that but but (laughs) I hear the that's bite. where all the flaw that's where all the flaws in you know to my mind they yeah they 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 kind of go all out with the name and I, I i i love the idea of the ai escaping i mean i really did enjoy that the fact it had found somewhere <laughs> found somewhere better to put itself and there is a logic to it wiping itself out on the original computer but generally Not speaking well yeah that's where that's where the kind of things break down because they they treat the ai rather than exploring what it means to be a machine intelligence they treat the ai as if it is just moving one compute from one computer to another like a person moving from a room to a room and or or, or a the, glass of water you know yeah it's it's like exactly. water the flowing I, from one computer to another it's like okay well we've it, only it, got so much ai so it fits over here yeah, yeah. yeah. I, so, so the the idea that it would be a technopolis, not a stupid one, but the idea that it would only be in technology technopolis is totally illogical, and it comes down to this kind of very limited conception of the AI as being very much like a a, a kind of corporeal entity with a single processing unit, as it were, rather than what you know a computer virus is much more it it, it's creating a botnet isn't it i mean yeah it's behaving much more like a colony that's that's the that's the analogy to use not a not an individual yeah Uh, a couple things just on things that were touched there and i don't want to forget so i'll mention them now one is i didn't really buy the breakdown in trust dynamic no on them because they have a great rapport and you know, I think that Ed and Beckett have earned enough trust with Roz that they should be able to say, Roz, there is a very good reason and we are not telling you. And I think it I think... will be revealed, but they she should cut him a little more slack than that, or some or she should have more slack without having to to be coerced into it. So that one that well, there are multiple problems with the way they've set it up because 
first of all, I don't think they 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 earn the the kind of schism that they have tried to create. It's very it's very contrived, um, and the, the the whole point is to kind of suggest that they can't just be honest with Roz like that because Roz is she is very cerebral and she will she will immediately leap to to conclusions or ask further questions but of course she will anyway this is the problem that they're behaving in such an odd fashion that having set set ros up as this very quick-witted and intelligent woman who will put together any clues that are placed in front of her you can't then have them basically conspiring like schoolboys and expect that that would be any less suspicious than as you say a kind of straight out look we are hiding something but we can't tell you what it is so yeah i i i think that in itself is is pretty problematic and i yeah yeah it doesn't it did not work for me i just i just did not and and in a way that's a credit to the team that they've built because by this point in the show i have the feeling that they trust each other with their lives routinely and without reservation. And so this is, now they're whispering about me from behind my back. I have some memory. I mean, how did they make her forget her memory? I mean, that that one right off the bat should be a a tip off that this is not them doing this, right? That, that, That this is, their behavior is in some way in response to the fact that she has lost her memory, not a cause of it. Maybe deleting the computer files, sure, that's them. But I mean, for crying out loud, <laughs> she can't undelete files that those two knuckleheads deleted. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Again, again, it's a problem because she is. It, she's attained an almost doctor-like level of intelligence within the show, which is yep. fine when it's you know when you're pitting her against the baddie of the week. But it's a problem in a situation like this. It's also you know, this setup is problematic because it's not at all clear what Ed and Beckett's end game is in terms of uh, of what they're doing. They d- they don't appear to realise that they're not clever enough to be able to pull the wool over Roz's eyes for very long. And yet they don't seem to be viewing it as a short term thing because they've, you know, if they were saying we've just got to do this for a couple of days because then we can, I don't know. Yeah, kind it of feels it like more. they're biding their time. They're just like, yeah. we're just going to do this until the problem solves itself or until we get an idea. And it's like, yeah, you guys are never, you guys are never going to get the idea. You're, you're the wrong ones. And uh, yeah, it's problematic. The other, the other thing I want to touch on that, that you kind of passed by and I don't want to forget is here, once again, we have Sean Danielle, who has built an incredible, legitimate business empire or appears to be a legitimate business empire that does legitimate stuff to make him legitimately lots of bucks. And now he's got control of this AI, which has enormous economic potential. And yet he plans to use it to do criminal stuff instead of just make money the old fashioned way, earn it. He's obviously smart enough to do that. So again, we've taken this really cool technology and we're not using the really cool technology to to do stuff to make us rich. We're using the really cool technology as a means to get at ways to make ourselves criminally rich. I 
I just don't get I, that with this show. I like it, I, I I kind of find your faith that those who have acquired great wealth manage to do so in a law abiding way. <sighs> Well, I mean, you know, law-abiding. <laughs> like, are are you saying that Amazon.com is a criminal enterprise? I can't say, but uh, you know, to the outward appearances of it, it's it must thinks it's operating within the laws that it can get away with. I th- well, I think when when you get to a certain size, then you operate in a way that bends the law to your particular requirements. I mean, we're recording in a week when Congress has been hearing from uh, the Facebook whistleblower. Mm-hmm. And so I, it, all, it all gets tied up in money and power and power and the machinery of government. And so the question of what exactly you mean by a law-abiding way, I, I think at this point you would say someone in Marcel's position would actually be looking at rather than um, trying to simply evade the law through secrecy would be trying to use a combination of secrecy, but also influence to change the law or to get law enforcement off his back or whatever else, you know, it, it, it's, it's not, it's not the way that someone in that, position even if they were essentially a gangster would behave it's the way that a comic book villain like lex luther would behave right there are plenty of ways he could make money and not be quite as for example blowing up people it it, it actually appears that he is committing committing the criminal acts that he is committing not because they advance his interests, but he's interested in them because they are criminal. It's like they they are an end in themselves. So, yeah, I I it it does it does feel more comic book and and um you know the the Lex Luthor thing. I kind of feel like I haven't. I'm sure I haven't seen this episode before. And when we had our discussion about Newton's Run, I talked about Gotham City. Because it felt like Bugs had been progressing towards this idea of a kind of comic book environment that they that they were operating in, and that's where Marcel is fulfilling this role. Actually, I think I was wrong because Technopolis that has to owe something for to Metropolis. So I may I may still have been in DC Comics, but I just I perhaps hit the wrong one. Hmm. Well, I think Gotham City has the has the more of the crime problem that uh, uh, than Metro- I mean, Metropolis obviously has a crime problem because they wouldn't need they wouldn't need Superman if they didn't. But it's a different kind of villainy. Gotham Gotham is a you know lots of thugs and lots of organized crime and and dark and gritty. But yeah, no, I, I get the point. Um, let let let's talk about Technopolis Technopolis since we've we've brought it up. Um. That is just such a strange, maybe the concept isn't strange, but certainly the execution is. <laughs> so we have, we have somebody who says, you know what? I'm going to make this amazing high-tech center for business. That's fine. Things like that happen. They do that. 
I don't think anybody could possibly have had enough money to build that city without some pretty firm commitments so that it would not be an empty wasteland with bad toilets, apparently. I mean, that, that's some impressive, that's some pre- impressive architecture there going on in Technopolis, the, the empty town and, and the kind of high tech entry systems, but yet it's obviously Eastern Bloc, Soviet era kind of vibe to it. Almost like, you know... Well, except it's not. I mean, it isn't, if, you, if you showed me that with the sound off, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be saying that's Eastern Bloc. It's no, I know. It's the they describe its location that... that well, the guard, the, the, the immigration guard reeked of Soviet-era officials. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. But, I mean, if you, if you look at the city itself, it, it, just, it does seem to be a very strange choice because the, the, they have... Canary Wharf, right? I mean, mm-hmm. this is this is this is it. It was it was this is this is Canary Wharf, basically. They've just right. for some reason decided to translate it into the the Eastern Block and make it bigger than Canary Wharf. I I can't remember if they've already used Canary Wharf in the show and if that may be a reason for them doing that. But if they wanted to make it feel a bit more real, then they would have kept it in the Docklands. I don't really yeah. understand why they decided it had to be this this huge build, building or set of buildings in Eastern Europe. And I think that caused a load of problems because they, first of all, they their locations can't really convey that. And secondly, my goodness, if you think that the this top secret um, base for the weapon Bureau of Weapons had minimal security <laughs> they they are really struggling now with extras in order to make it look like there is anyone in this place because well, it's supposed to be this huge it's this huge new development on launch day where are the crowds well i think that's intentionally the purpose that they, they that's why they've set this up as it's such a joke nobody wants to be here uh that that you know because the plumbing's bad as ed as Ed put it, it, it just, it's really a strange choice. And like I said, it's not just the guard that they do that Soviet era, the, the receptionist in the hotel, she could practically be saying the line in Soviet Russia, hotels are always full. You know, there is that, that old but that's a poke pride Wolf, thing about, it? I don't know. I've, I've, I've been in the area, but I've never been to a hotel where they were trying to convince me they were full when they were empty. Uh, <laughs> but, but Canary Canary Wharf was. Uh, I mean, the the thing was that at the point where it opened. I mean, on opening day, I I don't think it would have looked like a desert like this. That's the that's right. the problem. No, but I think what they're I think what they're having a go at was the fact that it was that loads of it was it was this you know it's this huge expensive project that I think at the time the tallest skyscraper in London, and they had. I, I can't remember what proportion of it was. They'd had, they'd barely been able to, to, um, to let any of the office space at the point at which mm. it opened. So it appeared to be a massive white elephant, and it was the butt of a lot of jokes. And I'm sure it still would have been in 1996. Now 
it looks like an incredibly canny investment and there are many other much bigger skyscrapers around uh you know the the, the london skyline and people have forgotten what that was like but i i, I never knew i can't so... help thinking that they were they were having a go at that in all of those all of those gags that you you uh, eds that you mentioned yeah okay that's I I did not know that about the history of Canary Wharf. I knew it was a redevelopment project of I don't know Whitechapel or something, but apart from that, I didn't know that it was. Uh, uh, but you know that that's happened in other places. That has happened in other places. There is this: if you build it, they will come, and sometimes if you build it, they don't, and or they or don't come as away. fast as you think that they will. That's right, and so yeah, it, yeah. it has that sort of colossal. Well, this didn't this didn't work out the way you wanted it to. The other thing that we should say about Technopolis being this the most tech city, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and following on from our discussion about weapons and yes. you know, laser and whatever, is that the most high-tech security team are just a bunch of guys with old-fashioned machine guns. But the guy at the the guy at the immigration's desk had an energy weapon. Well, energy weapons seem to be pretty routine now in the world of bugs. So it's actually not not just an absence of high tech weaponry. It's actually their weaponry must be considered to be quite retro. Well, so also the sexy paramedics were all carrying standard guns. I was I my notes here. They've got very uh, we've got a lot of standard guns in this. And when we get to Technopolis and Ed and Beckett try to get past the immigration guy, he pulls out the one and only energy weapon we see. I think. Uh, and it's a flashlight taped to something. It, it's a really naff looking laser gun or whatever it is. And then when the security guards are chasing, they appear to have the same kind of guns, but they're like shooting proper bullets. It It's really strange. Hmm. Uh, it, it, it was confusing to me what they were doing there. And I, you know, I don't know, maybe they've blown their budget because, um, the explosions were pretty lame. I, I believe there was exactly one explosion in the first episode, and that was underwater, which must have been really cheap. They <laughs> just blew some bubbles. And and then in episode two, it was the fuel cans blowing up. Yeah. So it, it was really kind of like, eh, yeah, this is, uh, they're, they're not up to quota. The other thing about Technopolis that I find really strange. So it's this joke of a place. It's in the middle of Eastern Europe. It's uh, unpopulated. It appears to be going to be not used. And it also happens to be the world's highest security prison. And somehow Jean Daniel ended up in that prison. I know. And again, uh, you think that's not that's not a problem if they if they had made this a Docklands development and it happened to have a prison in it, which in itself is pretty strange. Keeping a British prisoner there would not be unusual. But why would why would a British prisoner who has not committed a crime in this Eastern European country, who is not a citizen of this Eastern European country, be incarcerated in this Eastern European country? Extreme I mean, under what, but you could but you can't extradite someone to a country for a crime that they didn't commit in well, or against the laws of that country. I mean, it. Well, wait he, a minute. Now, he, if that country cr- intentionally wants them, 
If they, if they set up a prison and say, hey, rest of the world, send us your prisoners. We'll keep them. Just pay us money and we'll keep them locked up for you. No problem. Why, why couldn't they do that? Well, except there, there, is, there, is, no, there is no legal way of doing that. How, well, not, not, not in British law. There's no legal way we could send prisoners to a prison abroad. So we've talked about this whole privatized prison thing, which obviously they are making some commentary about this this practice, yes. which is a thing we have here and, and there. This, I don't know if you guys have this, but we have a thing here where the, the Republicans are trying to destroy the public education system by creating basically private schools that are paid for with taxpayer money. And they allow children to opt out of the public school system and go to this alternate school system where the individual schools compete against each other to be the, the school you want to send your kids to. And, and fundamental upon that principle is something they call parents choice. No, it's not parents choice. It's, um, it's, it basically it's parent, it's education choice. It's your choice of, you know, you get to pick where you want to send your kids, not you have to go where you have to go. And I think this is that. I think prisoners, <laughs> prisoners are given the choice. choice. Prisoners' choice, they get to pick the prison that they're stored in, in, in this private prison system. It's like, well, I think I like the uh, I like the facilities at Prison X, so send me there. And then the government just pays to keep you at prison x and then the prisons compete with each other to have the best uh facilities for the prisoners so that they pick pick going there because obviously that's the only way on earth sean danielle would end up in the prison in technopolis and you know how long has that prison been there it sounds like that's the one ongoing business they've got well the guy's describing he's already there before they they get there and yet last time we saw him, he appeared to be in need of medical assistance. So it's very yeah. unclear how much time has elapsed between these two episodes. You know, if, if it's been like a year, then maybe that explains why Roz is having her trust issues. If it's been a day, then I'm, I'm not as. I think, but I, yeah, I think that's part of, that's part of the bigger story problem. So yeah, yeah. it's, it's strange. It, 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 the whole the whole let's let's t- let's take the show which has been very very much rooted in the uk in in fact just this particular corner of london let's switch this to a to <laughs> say an exotic location abroad well not exactly <laughs> but let's let's switch it to an alternate location and let's uh, mess about at the same time with the team dynamics let's bring in all of these kind of um you know, it's 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 this whole this whole new uh, form of high security uh, prison because you know the the desynchronized sleep nonsense, all that kind of stuff. For only being it's conscious. nonsense, but I like it I, as a as a science fiction concept. I like it. Right, prison it's... hasn't always been prison. It's it used to be workhouses where they would put people on treadmills and just make them walk mm-hmm. all day. i mean there's all sorts of things that have happened over time and this is one of those ones like if if the goal is to keep them in and low maintenance put them out 
I I could see somebody coming up with that idea. I'm not saying it's a good well, no, idea. No, no, it's it's but it's, it's, an, in, it's, it's an interesting it's an interesting sci-fi idea. I mean, lots of the a lot of these things are quite interesting. Like I say, it, the idea of pushing the boundaries of the show appeals to me. What I don't think works is doing everything at once because it, <laughs> it sort of loses it loses any sense of what the show is about i mean it's already it's it normally has a fairly tenuous grip on its own plots but it yeah. kind of coasts along on the basis of there's a formula right there's there's some unscrupulous bad guys trying to steal some tech or use some tech to blackmail someone or whatever the hell it is and our guys are going to use some tech to stop them stealing the tech and save the day and in the process a lot of things are going to blow up and that's basically the and formula. one of them will get captured and need to be fixed and it, need to be ex- saved. exactly exactly and so you know all of all of those elements kind of form part of the story but we've had you know 18 previous episodes where that has basically been the case so it's not necessarily a bad thing to to fiddle around with that a little bit but given how flimsy the kind of premises in the first place i still think you need to hang on to some of that furniture <laughs> fair enough it, it's this one really did take it a step further i i do have to ask so rock isn't matter not sure i understood that whole thing it's like well as long as we keep the antimatter swinging around which we can't because it's going to touch something matter and then it's going to blow up but instead i can just shoot it into some rocks so that's no problem like isn't isn't that exactly the same it it really i i I don't i don't know i mean all i know about antimatter which i assume is what they're relying on is that is that you get antimatter in a particle accelerator so that bit seems matter and antimatter when they collide do annihilate one another with a with a uh outrush of energy so yeah basically but pre- a, pre- presumably explosion, presumably, presumably in reality the amount of antimatter in a particle accelerator is not that big right yeah it's a few particles here and there um yeah so maybe it just, it's not a not a problem in the way that it appears to be in the story i i don't think it would be i physicists let me know how bad it would be if if a you know if a couple particles of antimatter hit something I, I'm, I'm not saying it would be good but you know well, in the but very there must opening be... sequence dr briggs says well the reason we stopped is because we were going to blow up the world yes with because, the because some for some reason for some reason the process of creating the durolinium in the particle accelerator creates more than the normal amount of antimatter or something but the, but no no loss because just because it's a superconductor it has no commercial value so don't worry about this. <laughs> that one wait you we literally have a guy that is making computer chips incredibly powerful computer chips which by the way something you could sell um Anyway, we could have we could have Beckett explain all this to us because apparently he's got a PhD on particle accelerators and how to run them. I think he was lying on that one. Um, you know what I want to know is was, were these Niobium Pro or Niobium Max uh, chips that he was making for his uh, for his servers? But um, the yeah, it just 
Why? Every, and everybody knows about it too, right? Somebody else said, oh, I think it was the computer experts in the at the beginning said, oh yeah, they, they found some processors made with niobium and it was right off. Like, so everyone knows there's practical value to this stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Except Dr. Briggs, who was the one making the stuff. It's just scientific. That was goofy. Just goofy. And kind of unnecessary. That, that, and, that, and yeah, I mean, a lot of the things. The, it, it seemed to me that the way in which they explained the virus was, I mean, it was a bit like that very strange uh, explanation of Schrodinger's cat, which mm-hmm. just completely missed the point. And then they talk about the virus and say, well, the purpose of the virus is to do damage. Well, no, actually, surely the primary purpose of any virus is self-replication and it's it's then the payload that you attach to that it's i I mean obviously we have computer viruses essentially do just do self-replication and nothing else but where it becomes more i would say interesting but where it where there's a kind of criminal enterprise involved is where the payload is something like ransomware and then you can hold hold or or well, ran- ransomware, actually, I mean, it's very much analogous to the virus that Bugs itself has just done in Bugged Wheat, where they've, where they've talked about having a real virus and the criminals are essentially using the virus as a way to hold people to ransom because they want to give them the antidote, which is, yeah, and I, you know, I would quite go with um, ransomware would be a great uh, analogy for what or not analogy, but it would be a great implementation of what they're doing here with this. In other words, pay me the money and we'll release your brain. Well, except they're not, they're not because the, 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 well, so, I mean, there's the computer, there's the pure computer virus part of it, which is, which is the, actually, I think what's going on is the virus itself is just a vector for creating a botnet on which CyberAx can I- expand its own, processing power which actually isn't consistently what's going on but it's the obvious reason why we're talking about it being a virus rather than something else mm. and then you've got the bit where where which i actually found i mean i liked the fact they were exploring brain computer interfaces i thought there was potential in the idea that you might have the brain computer interface work in reverse so it's not it's not quite i mean it's it's better than that implementation of the virus in orphan 55 in the in the doctor who episode that can hop between machines and humans because what you've got here is there's machine to machine transmission and then machine to human transmission but you don't then get human to human transmission and that it, it's all kind of it's all kind of vaguely credible at the point where you kind of say well, it could have a kind of disorientating and possibly even slightly hypnotic effect on someone. But what all gets very strange is when, for no obvious reason, certainly for no kind of evolutionary reason in terms of the virus's mutation, it appears to have the mem- the, the ability to do much more advanced stuff, like wiping, selectively wiping memory. And yep. then... Not only not only doing that, but doing that in a way that leaves the person so undamaged that they can go on operating and just sort of 
bridge, yeah. bridge the gap over those memories in their own mind. So they're, so they're not totally disoriented. They're not totally confused. They live normally. They just realize a few memories have gone. Well, there's another aspect to that is if it can cause, if being infected with it can cause you forget the fact that you know about the virus, then you don't need to destroy the host when they think about the virus because you just erase the fact that they, oh, huh, beep, you know, hit that, hit that spotless mind button and, uh, and remove that bit. And then they don't know about the virus anymore. So the virus doesn't have to, and that's my other question. What is the virus doing to the hosts? They all go, excuse me, I have something to do or whatever the exact words are. And then in the case of Roland, it appears that he goes to try to kill himself. We can talk about how dead Roland is, how very, very dead Roland is. Did Professor Briggs kill himself because the virus told him he should kill himself? Or was he trying to kill himself to prevent the virus from killing him because he did you know I, I, goes, have, I have excuse me and then goes blows himself up the briggs goes and goes grabs electrical wires <laughs> and jams them in his head it's like I, but it sounded like he was trying to destroy it and i why would the virus do this well the idea the idea the idea that it disorientates the 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 patient i guess you would call it the host uh, but while whilst at the same time trying to tr trying to force the host into doing something or hypnotize the host into doing some particular task, there is almost some credibility to that, right? I'm I'm on board for buying that. It's when it gets more sophisticated than that, like it is triggered by this particular thing. What's the point? What is the point of it being triggered by knowing about the virus? Or well, the 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 point. I'm not saying it's a good point. The point is that the virus's job is to remain undetected. So Why? at the point it is, well, that's what viruses do. I mean, that's, I believe that's the way Ed explained it. Explained is the wrong word, but that was the way he framed it, is that a virus remains undetected. One of them framed it that way. I thought it was Ed. And so once you have detected the virus, its next step is to... It's to do destroy damage, destroy itself, it's so the, it's it can't. The same explanation that I was complaining about. The purpose of the virus is to is to stay hidden and then do damage, both of which are wrong, and which is why this really doesn't make any sense. Right, it's and not. The... It's not trying to to replicate itself through humans. It appears. I I I don't know. It ha there, there has there has to be so, either some kind of programmed or mutated evolutionary benefit that it gets from having the humans do whatever it has them do but the it other... doesn't need them to to hide the fact that they're infected or anything like that and it doesn't need to trigger them when they discover they are the, the 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 other thing that they all do and i can't remember how we got around this with big briggs is they also destroy the equipment right roland holds the hmm. cyberx base unit in front of him that's what actually gets shot that's what saved his life because holding a big metal box at 1,700 miles an hour in front of your chest, uh, yeah, you're fine. Um, Briggs starts to carry out the unit. Uh, Professor Talbot smashes the unit before going into his comatose state. And and even Beckett, when he was faking it, was like, I don't know, holding or, or the or a smashed unit was next to him to make it look like that he had 
destroyed it. So that's but the I, instruction. I, but they also yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I, which is what I had understood was essentially the purpose of it initially. At any rate. So the other aspect of it is at the end is that we've got that room full of bodies that are all infected but comatose, and. That would imply they don't want the bodies dead, which makes Roland's behavior completely illogical. You would think the people well, would just go comatose. The equipment. <clears throat> well, but he could. But Doctor Talbot just smashed the equipment, and then went comatose. Roland could have done that. He had a remote-controlled howitzer. He could have just tossed it on the ground, pointed the howitzer well, at it, it and shot it. And then it wasn't as well. No, it wasn't. And I will say this: that was some pretty gruesomely. I mean, not gruesome in terms of what we saw on screen, but Briggs' death, Roland's death, those were over the top for for a TV show. It's like, he's going to be shot with a, ah, ah. It's like, wow, did not see that coming. And then followed it up with, did not see his body being intact after that coming either. Okay. So I can't figure out the, and and, and when we get to the end, there is a sort of implication in what Jean Daniel says that it's not Cyberax that wants to do this to the people. This is a thing that Jean Daniel is doing so that he can later use it for the pe- for Cyberax as a dish. It, it, it just didn't <clears throat> didn't make any sense. But I will say this: this is a few years before the film The Matrix. Yeah. So. Um... Not saying the Matrix got some of the idea of a computer farming humans from here, but it's possible. But I'm not sure the idea of computer farming humans is that well developed in it. I mean, it. No, it's not. It seems to be an afterthought. (laughs) Which is a, which why I think it's for a sequel. I mean, why would that virus not be in their heads still? Well, I don't. I don't know whether uh, whether it is. They describe it as being. Unless they've all been rebooted, but it's not a virus, as far as I can tell. Essentially, the the in the computers it is a virus because it is replicating itself. But then it uses the brain computer interface to control humans to do something that let's let's suppose the that initial understanding was right, which is that it it wants to destroy the equipment that it's been running on, so that it protects itself from discovery because of the damaging effects of it being discovered so it needs to control the humans but it doesn't infect them in our normal understanding of infection and they are not themselves infectious in the sense of having the virus in them somehow and being able to spread it elsewhere so in those terms it doesn't that they, they don't have a virus i agree with your analysis but i that is not the way they present it i mean i know i think that they are presenting it that this is actually a thing that has infiltrated the mind and is hiding there and is what what what, by their definition of virus well they seem to be they they seem yeah well it's they're calling it a virus i'm not sure they have defined it terribly well but what they seem to be suggesting is that there is now something in the mind controlling the mind. So it's essentially mind control. It's not a virus. That's a red herring. It's mind control, which is pointless and unnecessary within the plot of the episodes that we've seen. Maybe there will be a sequel, but it just doesn't seem to make any sense in terms of advancing the story as far as I can see. No, I I will say this, though. Having worked in IT for decades, 
what people call a virus is the layman, what layman call a vir computer virus is anything that infects a computer. I mean, that, that term has come any malware. to mean any malware of any kind. I mean, that, that's why people tr pros try to call it malware because they're not all viruses per se by that definition, but that's what people call them. That that's what they've learned from TV and forget bothering to try to correct them. Oh, you've got a virus on my computer. I doubt you have a virus on your computer in this particular case, but okay, go <laughs> like, and you know, it's something else, but of a malware sort. So well, some, you know, the fact that they use the term haven't... incorrectly doesn't. Yes. Sometimes people you sometimes people you describe how they've got a virus just because the computer is behaving in an odd way, which may be a configuration yes. or something else. Very often. Entirely unconnected with malware. Whereas actually, if in this episode they had described at least what is in the humans as a kind of human malware, that or would make Trojan sense of the, of the mind control nonsense. Or well, yeah. Well, in certainly in terms of remaining hidden, that that then does make sense. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. I think we've talked enough about the weird time scale, but I will just say that it it feels like Jean Daniel has been working on this for a very long time, including having a company called Cyberax, which seems yeah, to I have didn't... existed independently of the fact that there is a thing being created by the military called Cyberax. I I didn't get that at all because I I it is introduced as Cyberax is the name of the AI. It's the name of the project. And then suddenly right. they're searching for a company called Cyberax. Cyberax. And again, it felt like there had been some sort of previous draft of the script that they hadn't properly gone through and edited out where it had been a company in Maybe. that previous draft and now it was just the name of the AI. And, and remember, Sean Daniel's been working his way through this to get the Niobium so that he could trap Cyberax. So this feels like this is his has been his end game all along and it, it's like okay this is right okay fine it, it just doesn't it do, it, quite work out no it does and it does with some of the some of the things that don't quite work out are that you don't get the payoffs that you expect so you're i was expecting for example that jean daniel's ultimate motivation would be revenge even though he talks about revenge as not being a good motive in Schrodinger's bomb, I thought one of the things he wanted was to get his own back on on the bugs. And likewise, I thought that there would be some sort of payoff to Cassandra's dad being shot, like she would turn on Jean Marcel at some point. But I couldn't even see the particular point in bringing her back for this episode. I didn't even realize that was the same person. <laughs> yeah, your your uh, sexy paramedic. Sexy paramedic. Did not realize that was uh, Cassandra from the last episode or the one before. Didn't didn't even phase me. Just sort of generic French-looking. French. Hot. She looks French to me. Okay. She has a sort of, I don't know, stereotypical 80s French fashion look. I don't know. That would just be, she doesn't sound it. I'm not saying that she sounds it, but it's just sort of like, eh, all right, all right. That seems like the kind of thing Jean Daniel would surround himself with, with a name like Jean Daniel. Um, but um, yeah, and and you know there is that line, barely a line. I think I even, I think I got it right. I believe that when 
he asked her why she did it, why she brought him back after he after she'd completed the project or said, you know, she insisted that I brought you back or whatever the thing was. And she walked away and he goes, hmm. bah, you sheep. I mean, really contemptuous. Yeah. Um, John Danielle was actually for the first time ever. Okay. In, in this episode, for the first time ever in this episode, he was giving me vibes of being a credible villain, not, not his comic book plot, but the, some of the way he conducted himself. And the first was that he outright recognized and said, I made a big mistake in not killing you straight away to Beckett. And I thought, well, finally, somebody's figured it out. Good for you, Jean Danielle. Shoot him. Oh, you're not going to shoot him. And two more times in the episode, you don't just shoot him. Oh, oh you want to put him on a slab at the end as revenge. Because they had three spots for him. So there's definitely yes, some aspect of justice in his mind. It wasn't necessarily for revenge. It was just, you know, three three more bodies for the whatever it is he's planning to do, which you know by that he time, should have I'd shot him long since given up caring about he, he should have shot him but yeah he, he he should have shot him let me ask you a question uh it doesn't work this way in the united states but maybe it does in the uk when you call an ambulance does a police officer show up in advance and say hey the ambulance is coming not if you're not a military department oh well why would that make a difference if you're a military department well i assume they were I assume it was some there was there was some kind of police escort for the ambulance. I mean, I yeah, two minutes behind me. I don't that know. good. I mean, good escort. Given <laughs> given given yeah, two minutes behind. Given given that being all futuristic and everything, they actually have mobile phones in this. I don't know why they didn't use them, but yeah, I mean, it was it was kind of I I didn't understand why no one questioned the fact that paramedics were wearing crash helmets yeah. no one cared or I mean, or, I, or sexy i had well i had i had long i had long since um assumed that he was going to be taken away by fake paramedics and indeed i thought well these are going to be fake but then when they're wearing crash helmets thought these are definitely fake paramedics but why they, are they, they wearing were, crash helmets because, because there's they no were in a reason helicopter for... it's helicopter go helmet. on a lot of times you see helicopter people, personnel, uh, rescue people. They wear, they wear those that kind of helmet. Uh, it, it, it's part of the gear, I guess. It blocks it's... out some of the sound and whatnot. I, I don't. That didn't strike me as weird. What struck me as weird is that those two frail-looking women were able to carry off adult men, like Beckett. The scene where the two of them are just carrying him off in a stretcher, thought side by side. <laughs> but wow, that's that's impressive i'm not even sure i could do that with another me and carry beckett off like that okay yeah yeah let's see do i have anything else i mean killing Roz at the end there or rebooting her depending on how you want to look at it i i, I knew that was coming and because the minute ed said you have to reboot it Actually, early, much earlier in the episode when they talked about that, I go, oh, that's how you get it out. You just you just stop her brain activity for a few moments and then or her heart. I figured they'd do it in a little bit more of a controlled situation, like with a defibrillator or something. But OK, uh, but the way they did it, 
and the way the episode is staged, he kills her. She's dead. Her heartbeat has stopped. She is no longer getting blood to her brain. She's no longer getting oxygen to her brain. And then they have time for dialogue. They have time for him, for Ed personally, to pick her up, carry her running two blocks. I have to think about how long it would take me to run carrying a human body two blocks to get to some doctors. And then There's in that minutes, interim, by the way, he said five minutes. Yeah, I think he said five minutes at one point. He said, how long has she been like this? Five minutes. That's when they put her in the resuscitator. Then we see Beckett battle it out with Jean-Daniel and the bomb. Then Beckett has to get to the place, which means another five minutes at least, plus the time, the scene we saw. She's now been dead. She has to be dead over 10. It felt like even longer. And then they find out they're not doing anything because CyberX is dead. Okay. <laughs> so let's try Let's try the normal stuff. Oh, she's fine. It, 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 they should have had some way to make that you know, the doctors were there in the building right next door or anything to cut that down. But it just didn't work. And and so how much of Roz's brain is gone now? I mean, apart from the taste of coffee and the color green. What else is what else has been erased? Will she no longer be the supercomputer genius next season anymore? Or <clears throat> problematic. And of course you're not really rebooting the brain. Huh, I know I'm just I know I'm just picking now. You're not really rebooting the brain. Unless the brain is dead and brain dead's that thing you don't come back from. You know, heart dead, sure, but brain dead, no. It was not a good episode. Well, if you're just picking, if you're just picking, tell me how Roz and Ed both know about the swimming pool in the basement of the Bureau. It's of in Weapons. my notes. I have no idea. How did they know and why didn't Beckett? How, exactly. how did they? For crying out loud, they didn't even know where the place was. And when they got to the place, they were surprised it had its name written on it, which means <laughs> we didn't even know this was a Bureau of Weapons Technology facility, but we do know that there is an employee pool in the basement because all government buildings have a pool in the basement for employees. That's what it is. They must know that. It's standard standard plan. But Beckett doesn't. But Beckett doesn't because he's never worked yeah. for the government. Uh <laughs> <sighs> uh, yeah it just it was not a it was not a good finale and you know thinking back at the opener for the season was pretty darn good it was i mean i think the season's had its up and downs but overall the trend has been down because it really felt like it had found its rhythm at the start and then we had a turkey a few episodes in and one or two better episodes since then, but yeah, it's really it's ended on a bum note, I think. Yeah, it it, it did not end well. I, what I do appreciate, I don't like Roland opening his eyes at the end because that just screams sequel. So I, but I don't I, you understand know that, what the significance is. I mean, what is I, I that good the, or is that bad? The fact that there's a sequel or that he opened no, his eyes. That he opens his eyes. I mean. The way that Roz says goodbye to him, right? To me, I read that as medical science says he's brain dead. Yes. We're keeping him but alive she... on the machines. There is nothing left of Roland here. So to me, when he opens his eyes at the end, and it was very expected at that moment to me that he was going to, the eyes were going to snap open. 
in the same way that yes, Roz's that's... eyes snapped open, basically, but was that it's still there. That may be well, the I, only I, thing I, left. I don't, I don't know about that. I mean, the, the reason he's still, the reason they're keeping him alive, the reason that Roz is sad is because he's not going to come round. And then he does come round. So there are reasons to suppose that's a good thing, as well as, as you say, those other reasons to suppose they're a bad thing. Didn't feel to me like there was a strong steer to give us a clue as to which of those we were supposed oh, to be thinking about. Here's here's why I felt that it was a bad thing. Because it's never a good thing <laughs> on TV or in a show. Like, if it had been a good thing, they'd have showed it while Roz was still there. So she could well, have I was expecting moment. them to show oh! something else. I was not expect. I was expecting it to happen, but I was not expecting it to be the final moment. And the problem was, because it was the final moment, there was no, there was no way of interpreting what the meaning is uh, is going to be. So, unless we get that sequel, well, I mean, if we get the sequel, it is obviously because it is bad, right? Yeah. Uh, even even if you know we come back in the next episode, he's in charge of the bureau again, and they're like, "Oh, you're, you know, I'm glad you're better now, Roland, and everything's back to normal." I would still feel like that there is no reason to bring the character Roland back in any way, shape, or form unless he is still infected with this thing. Agreed. In which case, Agreed. of course, Roz may still be infected with this thing, and that may be part of it but you know that whole team of sleepers i don't know how many of the others are still alive in comas they could all be zombie minions of the cyberax or perhaps they're the zombie minions of the alien that came to earth in an iobian spacecraft all those years ago and was a cyber entity itself and i i don't know i'm going <laughs> i don't think that they we've reached a point now where i can rule anything off the table for what they would do with this show. You know, at one point I thought it was going to be strictly sort of, yeah, I can believe this is going to be ordinary spy stuff with James Bond gadgety things. But at this point, I'd be willing to believe they'd bring in space aliens. I, I totally believe it. I guess we'll see if that's, uh, <clears throat> if that's the case. Well, it was a line that I think the Avengers trod pretty, um, uh, well, <laughs> I should say, carefully but no maybe not it sort of veered wildly from one side of the line to the other there were no space aliens in it but there were pretend space aliens in it uh you know you've there are episodes where they fake certain sci-fi concepts like aliens or invisible people and then there are other episodes where they have mind swap machines or get miniaturized and that is for real wasn't the man-eater of Surrey Green an actual alien? Uh, yes, good point. Yes, there is one actual alien invasion, which is done rather rather more interestingly than a lot of alien invasion stories, even if it's not the most successful episode overall. So, yeah, I, I, I think, again, because of the Clemens link, I'm sort of looking at the, the, the kind of the goal, the aim for this show, and I mm. think it is to kind of provide that level of entertainment. And if I would be surprised if they introduced aliens into it, but I'm not surprised that they go for the kind of the 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 AI stuff and the 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 you know the mind control stuff that is well well beyond what would be believable. Yeah. All right. Well, 
when next we look at bugs, we'll be looking at season three, episode one. I don't have the title in front of me, but uh, I'm sure it'll be. I'm sure it'll be exciting. <laughs> well, I'm sure it'll have an explosion in it. We can say that. After all, it, the title is in fact "Blaze of Glory." So, if uh, if that could be a big fire, uh, if that doesn't offer the hope of some pretty big explosions, then I don't know what does. Simon, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure, as always. And listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of Fusion Patrol, we hope you'll consider supporting us at patreon.com slash fusion patrol or buymeacoffee.com slash fusion patrol. For our monthly Patreon subscribers, we're currently doing a special series on Season 2 of Babylon 5. There's over a decade of previous episodes available at FusionPatrol.com. Come join the conversation on our website or Twitter. You can also find some of our other works at SoundCloud.com slash FusionPatrol. Our music is Fight the Future by Amberwolf. This has been a Lone Locust production.